Well, if you have your Bible, can you turn to Luke chapter 6? This morning's message is going to come from Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. And it might seem like we're skipping verses 6 through 11, but what happened last week is as I was on the point of talking about religious pride and how it will not sacrifice in love for others, that was supposed to be an illustration that I was going to use and read it, and I didn't. Uh, I skipped it by mistake. So if you're wondering why we skipped that section, it was because that was connected to the previous section in regard to religious pride and love. So you can go back and read that and think about how it connects. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for your word. We're thankful that you give it to us. We ask now for you to be merciful to us. Open our eyes and our hearts and our ears that we would receive from you. Father, have mercy on us. Deal with us as children in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pity us, and by your Spirit, work in us, form in us the image of your Son. And may we be those who diligently seek after you. For we ask this in Christ. Amen. So Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 12, it says, In these days he, meaning Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called a zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Do you know, as I studied this passage this week, I came to realize, after wrestling with it, that I must be missing something. I must be missing something about what prayer is, because I can't imagine spending a whole night in prayer seeking the Lord to choose certain individuals. Now, I say this to my shame because uh, that just seems like somewhat of a, a request to me. If I'm trying to figure out who should you pick, you ask, the Lord tells you, you're done. Right? I mean, as I'm thinking about it, if I was to go and pray about who I should choose, I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I would spend the whole night in prayer. Do you know how you would spend the whole night in prayer because he had to choose 12 men out of, say, at this point, who knows how many disciples he had, approximately maybe 70, 120. I just thought that was incredible. How long does it take to make a request like that? So I was challenged, to say the least. I was challenged by this to think about a whole night in prayer and what that would look like, especially when there's a big decision to be made. In light of that, let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like your prayer life stinks? (laughs) Well, I do too at times. You know, I become often become discouraged by my prayer life because I find that I keep restating and repeating the same things over and over again. And sometimes I simply don't know what to say. I don't. And so what do you do when you don't know what to say? Well, you fall into patterns. You say what you've always said. And then that gets frustrating. That feels like, you know, I'm just, is this just vain repetition? 
What's going on? And, you know, I've always been this type of person who's been a little bit disgruntled with my prayer life. I always wish I prayed more. I, w- I wish I was that guy who saturated everything in prayer. I've, been, I've sat where you sat before, and someone's got up to talk about prayer, and they talk about what they're doing and how they, you know, they spend these extended times in prayer, and I'm sitting there going, oh, I don't do that. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't think you know, I'm standing up here, I'm, I don't pray. I do. It's just that I, I feel like it's to the point, usually. And to think about extending prayer for long periods of times, it's... It's actually somewhat intimidating for me. And because, you know, most of us, and if you're at all like me, you do a lot of spontaneous prayer throughout the day. Because as you go through life, you pray about this, you pray about that, something, an event happens and you pray about it. Someone asks if you can pray for them, you pray for them. You think of someone, you pray for them. So you do a lot of scattered little prayers here and there throughout the day. That's at least what I do a lot of times. I might pray for this or that, but they're small, they're quick, and I don't you know, dwell and spend a whole lot of time on one particular thing. So when I did read about this, we read about Jesus spent the whole night in prayer. I do wonder, what did he say? What was it like? What, what did he pray about? I think that's a legitimate question, isn't it? Isn't that legitimate to think about? Like, well, okay, what was he saying up there? How he spent the whole night, and really he, he, he was asking one question. Who should I pick? Who should I select as the 12 apostles? Well, maybe, you know, if I had a massive outline and a bunch of details and real specific requests and a real agenda format, and I took maybe a week to prepare it, I, I could probably spend a week, uh, I mean, a night in prayer. But just to go do it, I don't think so. But nevertheless, Jesus sought his Father. This is the thing that's striking me here. Jesus sought the Father for an extended amount of time because Jesus had a big decision to make. This is huge. So he spent the whole night in prayer. That's what we see in verse 12. Jesus needed to appoint leaders who would be the future foundation of the church. Now, this is a huge decision. And because of the enormity of the decision, it made sense that he would give an extended amount of time and prayer to it. Because these people, these men are the foundation upon which he would build a church to go into the future. These were very significant men. This was a priority. And of course, you know, he would never, no one should ever spend the whole night in prayer to decide what color of socks to wear in the morning. I mean, we get, okay, that, that's not too big of a decision. And if, you have, if you're struggling with that and it becomes a matter of prayer, maybe there's other issues you need to pray about. But this is a big decision. It's not small. But part of the question I have is how did Jesus, think of this, how did Jesus not know who to pick? Some, I ask that question because you look at, who's Jesus? Jesus is the God-man, right? He often knows people's thoughts before they speak them, we find out in the, in the text of Scripture. We know he's the Son of God. We know that he's God in the flesh. So am I thinking, like, how did he even not know? Why did it take him? This is a big decision, I grant that. But it took him all night to seek the Father to find out who to choose. I think this situation tells us something about the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit about the relationship between them. Because we know that they live in perfect love 
and and community with each other. And they constantly and are continually seeking the good and glory of the other. That's the nature of the relationship. So the question is, but do they need to consult one another? Is there a consultation that needs to take place? Well, out of love, I think that it requires communication of some sort. When you love one another, you communicate. So could it be that they communicate about everything? That anything that needs to be decided, they communicate. Well, it would make sense. There's a community of love, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. They're communing together, and they're always seeking the good and the glory of the other. And so if they're going to make a decision, and decisions are impacting others, we consult them, right? It makes, makes sense. And throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus always going to his Father in prayer. We always see Jesus doing this. I recently read a book on revival which had a chapter on prayer. And it outlined beautifully how Jesus sought the Father for everything. Let me, I'm just going to read a portion of it for you. It said, Prayer always preceded the seminal, transitional, and catalyzing moments of Jesus' ministry. It was while he was praying at his baptism that the heavens were opened. This was the inauguration of his ministry. He prayed in the hour of his popularity, the time when so many are swept off their feet. John 6.14 says, After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. He prayed through trials, struggles, and temptations. In the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we read, Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Mark 14.35 He also commanded his disciples to pray during such times. He said in Matthew 26.14, Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. He prayed for his disciples and others in Luke 22.32, where it says, I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. He prayed before critical decisions. And it was only after a special time of prayer that he opened his heart to his disciples and confided in them about his approaching suffering and death. It was while he was in the act of prayer that the majestic transfiguration scene was enacted. Luke 9.29 puts it this way. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Many of Jesus' miracles followed after prayer. The feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, walking on water, the raising of Lazarus, and the healing of the possessed boy, each of these miracles was linked with the prayers that preceded it. And after great ministry, like the healing of many who were, who were sick and feeding of the 5,000, he prayed, as it says in Matthew 14, 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. So, when it came to Jesus praying all night about this decision, we can see that it makes sense, given how he always goes to the Father about everything. His whole ministry began, ends in prayer, prayer throughout. So I think this it reveals to us the communication and consultation that happened within the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Spirit are constantly seeking one another. 
Because what we see here is that Jesus obviously, obviously needs and wants the wisdom of the Father, right? Clearly. And I don't think it is this because Jesus, is, it's not just the fact that he's fully man, that he's suffering from his manhood, and I must know because I don't know. I think it's because the Father and the Son and the Spirit consult and dialogue over big decisions with one another and wisdom. What happens is the Father, Son, and the Spirit are in communion with one another and communicating. What is birthed? What's birthed out of that? Wisdom. Wisdom is birthed. Glorious wisdom, profound wisdom, unsearchable wisdom, wisdom that cannot be found out, wisdom that you could, our brains cannot handle. And of course, there's not a text anywhere in Scripture that could explicitly prove this. Oh, what Jesus was doing here was he was consult. They were consulting with one another. They were seeking together, seeking to glorify one another, and seeking what is best in order that wisdom might come from it. But I think we can deduce this by inference by the fact that this is this is the nature of what it means to love one another, to live with one another. Even look at us humans. Look at yourself. Do you realize we know we're made in the image of God? But the image of God is expressed in community. Male and female, he made them. This is the image of God. And so in this community, when there's consultation and there's seeking of understanding from one another and there's ideas and thoughts are brought into the center there and they're debated, they're dialogued, they're exchanged and things are wrestled with, you know what's birth is often ideas that you yourself could never come up with and it's, and it's wisdom. Have you ever noticed husbands or wives when you went and did something without consulting the other spouse, how stupid it usually ends up being? But have you ever noticed that when you consult one another and you, and you, and you wrestle with it and a new thing is birthed, it's often pretty glorious? That's the reflection of the image of God. It seems like the image of God is being expressed when we consult other wise people and we, it seems like we come up with great third options. This is also why we need to go to God in prayer. Because when we pray, we're seeking the all-wise counsel of God himself. And he works in the hearts and minds of our counselors. He works in the hearts and the minds of men and women everywhere. He is the one. The, the, heart, the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands like rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes, according to Proverbs. We seek and consult the one who sovereignly is over everything. We go to him and look to him to lead and to guide and direct us. But a major difference, though, that I think is a major disadvantage is that Jesus would have heard this father speak to him audibly. And if not audibly, at least it was so, it was so audible in his spirit that nobody else could hear it that Jesus knew exactly what the father and spirit desired. Truly, I think, don't you, wouldn't you think, say, that's an advantage. That's a clear advantage. I sure would like that. That'd be great. Because I have to admit, I don't hear God speak audibly. So maybe you're relieved by that. I don't know. <laughs> and when others talk about God speaking to them, I, at times I don't know what they mean by that. Because sometimes I'm not sure where they're coming from. But some people actually you know, say, God spoke to me, the Lord told me, and, and I, I just don't know what that means. Because if I look at my life, I see that you know, God convicts me of sin. He humbles me when I'm proud. He directs me by opening and closing doors. 
He provides for me. He gives me words to say at times when I don't know what to say. And then I'm speaking and I can tell it's his words because they're actually pretty good. And I don't know where they're coming from. And I, and I wouldn't normally say that. And, and, I, and he speaks to me through his word. When I'm seeking his word, it's like he, he communicates. But it's never direct. Never, Dean, do this. Boy, that would be nice. It would also be nice if I could talk and he, it would be more like a dialogue. It so often feels like a monologue. Let me just tell you what's going on. And then, you know, I'm supposed to wait on the Lord, but I'm not exactly sure what that means. Maybe, I, do, I, well, do I expect him to speak from heaven? I don't know. I don't hear anything. But instead, what happens in my life are circumstances happen. Things happen. Doors open and doors close. And it's as if sometimes I, you give something to the Lord, a big issue, a big concern, and, and you're like, Father, I don't know. I have no idea. Please lead and guide me. And it would be nice for him just to tell me, but I, I, I close, amen, and I walk away, and I just kind of watch the circumstances. What's God doing? What's he doing? And here's the worst possible scenario for me in situations like this. In the case of choosing the 12, if I had to choose people, some, you go away, there's 120 people, and you've got to choose 12 out of them, I couldn't make that decision without God speaking to me. Because I would pray, and if God didn't tell me, how would I know? I could say, if I go down there, maybe everyone else falls over and then the 12 stand up. I don't know. I mean, I need, I need something. How, if I don't have something clear, I go down. If I prayed and I, and I don't know, even know what I'm looking for, and I, I look at all these people and I don't know. What's the direction? That's the wor- I couldn't imagine, as I read this, a worse scenario to be caught and to pray for because if you have to select, choose people, which ones to choose? Sometimes it's like that when you've... Have you ever had options that are difficult? As Mike brought up this morning, so many... You have to buy a house, but there's three, and they're great ones, and you sought counsel, and nobody can help you out, and you're confused. You don't know what to do. Oh, no, I hate those ones. Those are the worst. You pray... You're not even exactly sure what, you're, what, what kind of response am I going to get. I don't even know what to look for. So when you have to select, when you have to choose, when you have to make a big decision and there's multiple options and they're all good and you clearly, I just need a name. I need, I need something clear. That to me is the worst possible scenario because it's almost like, uh, tell me. I don't know what to do. But even, let's grant that. So Jesus is spoken to audibly by the Father. He tells him which ones to choose. I still have a question. What took all night? What took all night? If, if he's, got, he's got this distinct advantage where he could say, Father, which ones? And they consult, they talk, and he tells them, that 10 minutes maybe? I don't know. But Jesus, um, he... Couldn't he have just asked, who should I pick? And the father said, one, two, three, four. He tells him, and it's, and it's done. But I think there's something going on here. And there's more. And, of course, I can't say this emphatically, but something ha- there has to be somewhat of a discussion going on, a dialogue, where there's a back and forth, and there's a seeking to understand. Perhaps they, they're sorting out the nuances of, uh, that, that humans could never comprehend. Because 
The choice that Jesus is about to make is going to change the world forever, who he selects. Now, perhaps they're looking a thousand or two years down the line and, and looking at the consequences of, of, of doing one or the other, and they're dialoguing back and forth about the nuances of how history would unfold and unravel d- depending on who you chose and, and what needed to happen to fulfill and, and line up with God's word. I don't know. But we do know this. It took all night. In the morning, Jesus goes and he acts upon the wisdom of his father. Look at verse 13. And when day came, that's morning, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Prays all night, consults with the father. The father tells him who to, in this consultation, they decide who it is and he goes and he selects. So Jesus does the will of his father as he always delights to do. He didn't come back down with the wisdom he received and make some changes to it. He didn't go and do what he wanted after he listened. He acted upon the counsel of his father, unlike us. Because sometimes we go to God in prayer, we seek counsel perhaps from other wise people, and we don't like what we hear. You ever not liked what you heard? So we go and do what we want. Because we only ask because we're supposed to. But really we had a desire that we want fulfilled. So we really, that's what we were after in the first place. Or another scenario is we barely pray. We don't seek the counsel of others, other godly people. And then when we go, we do what we want, thinking that we prayed or telling ourselves that we prayed because we maybe quickly threw something up. But the whole time, we wanted our own will. We wanted our own desires. Have you ever wanted something real badly but didn't have the money for it? You knew it it wasn't in the budget or at least would really painfully hurt the budget. And you know perhaps it wasn't the wisest thing to do. But you did it. You did it anyway. When this is the case, I'll probably guarantee that you probably didn't pray about it. You probably didn't seek counsel about it. You you simply do what you can do to get it. You went after it. And have you ever noticed how that usually turns out? Usually it's the most stupid thing you've ever done because everything falls to pieces afterwards. And you, you feel bad about it. You know that you shouldn't have done it, and you're like the, the, the kid who perhaps you didn't get caught, but you know inside you were, kind of, you were caught because God knew the whole time. And it, usually, it just simply doesn't usually turn out. It could be, perhaps it was that big screen TV that you've always wanted. And this is usually how it happens. This is the process by which we depart from wisdom and we seek our own pleasures. You begin to research it. You begin to look into it. To study the nuances of, and the difference of it and what's, which one's better. And the more you look and the more you study, the more you research, the more you're starting to cultivate a desire. And now you're really, you're really starting to hone in perhaps on the one that you want. And before long, what you notice is that this has increased your passion for it. You have a desire for it. And now you really would, you would really like to it, and you have a, like to have it, and you have a list of reasons why it would be so beneficial. 
it'd be beneficial for you and everyone else, and, and it, really w- it, it would really be a distinct advantage for us. But uh, one thing you'll notice about usually decisions like this is you really didn't, you spend a lot of time in research and not a lot of time in prayer, typically. And you kind of avoided, and through the process as you grew in this, you kind of avoid consultation. You avoid maybe seeking wisdom because there's no need. This is a fairly simple decision. There's no need to do that. Well, one thing you will notice about these decisions and when we act on them, they are never, usually never a matter of prayer and always a matter of passion. And then we find ourselves in trouble. Because in those cases, you know, if we're absolutely honest, let's be straight up honest. We don't want God's will. We want our will, right? That's, just, that's the honest truth. But we like to disguise it. And we like to cover it in, in religious talk and make it sound like it's God's will. And do whatever we can to make ourselves feel really good about it. But there's, there's, a, there's a problem with that. And it should expose us. And, and we should go to God and confess to him, Father, this should be our prayer. We have a new prayer, and this should be it. Father, I confess to you that my heart and my passions have lusted after things that I know aren't going to bring me the fulfillment that I find in you. I, and, and I need you to cleanse me. I need you to wash me. And I need you, I need you to give me your heart, your passion. And get, give me a desire for your will. Because if we are a person that finds ourselves having trouble delaying gratification or, or finding ourselves biting and chomping and going after things that are, are just really not good for us or those around us, and instead we sacrifice what would be really beneficial down the road, we have a tendency to fill our hearts and desires with the things that are pleasing to the eyes. But we need to fill our heart with the Lord's will so that we want his will more than anything. And why is that? We have to absolutely be convinced that his will is absolutely the best thing for us. If you're convinced of that, you know that his will is is better than anything because I know that what God wills for me is absolutely the best. And when we want what he wants and our desires for him, we seek him. We seek his counsel. We seek godliness because that's, I know that's best for me. And sometimes it takes us a lot of smacks, smacks because we don't get it. And we constantly pursue after things that we ought not to. Our hearts get caught up. We start lusting. We start craving. We start desiring and start wanting things because you think about it. Well, what have I done? I've been cultivating that in my heart and my mind. I've been thinking and dreaming and, and, and planning and scheming and figuring out how we could get it. And I find my heart captivated by that. Well, that's if he who sets his mind on the things of the flesh will walk according to the flesh. He who sets his thing, mind on the things of the spirit will walk according to the spirit. And so one of the things fundamental is, in all of this, we will never be like Jesus. We will never seek the Father. We will never want His will above all things until our hearts truly do want God's will. So fundamentally, prayer will never become a big deal in our life other than just a little, a little spray prayer here or there unless we really do business with our hearts. And in our hearts, we truly love God and desire 
what he desires. So perhaps in our lives, that's the very first thing that we need to do. If we're going to be the kind of person who seeks God diligently, we first of all really got in our hearts, want his will. That helps. We've got to want his will. So that becomes the number one thing we ought to be praying about. And when you want his will, more than anything, you begin to pray way more often about everything. And then what we learn from this passage is that the degree of difficulty of the decision should match the amount of time we're spending in prayer about it. If it's a big deal, we should spend a whole lot more time in prayer. We should spend a whole lot more time seeking the counsel of other godly people and truly wanting to walk according to God's ways. And here's something else we need to understand. I don't know exactly how to answer this for you, but after you've prayed and you get up in the morning and you head forward, be patient. It, one thing, if I've learned, this is, this is what I've done wrong. I've prayed. I've sought the Lord. I've got up. And because it's a decision that it's unclear, I don't know exactly where to go, go or which direction. I just charge full steam. Because just be decisive. Something's got to happen. Charge and go, go full steam ahead. And what I should have done is just waited. Now, because I don't know how God is going to communicate to me or make my decision clear for me or make my path for me. But he, oh, if when I have waited, it's like, wait, wait, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to answer, but he will answer. I don't know how he's going to make it clear, but he will make it clear. I don't know what to tell you other than just wait. And when the time is right, when the t- it's clear. There's a clarity and there's a peace about it that makes sense. And, and, and when you go forward in that decision and you make the decision, you have a sense of, yes, the Lord has clearly directed me and guided me. Because those are t- that's tough. And I wish I could sit, stand up here and say, you know, whenever you're faced with that tough decision, you know, God is going to speak to you audibly and tell you. Well, no, I can't tell you that. He's, that's not how it works. <laughs> Whenever you're faced with that tough, tough decision, you've got to wrestle with it. You've got to pray about it. You've got to seek the Lord about it. And when the morning comes and the time comes, you, you can't even tell people sometimes, how am I going to know? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Let's just keep seeking the Lord and let's wait. It's going to get clear, but it's the 11th hour, Dean. You better hurry up. The time is short. We've got to make a decision. I know. I don't need the pressure. I know. I understand. But the Lord, that's something the Lord does, isn't it? Almost all the time. He, he, he doesn't like early he likes on time. It's on time. I, I want early. I want ahead of time. I want, please, don't wait for the 11th hour. But I've come to learn that's just the way he rolls. He wants me to trust him right up to the end. And then there he says he delivers. He does to us so often what he's always done to his people. He leads you right up to the edge of a, a sea, an ocean. And to your back comes your enemy. And if you look with your eyes, guess what you're going to say? We're dead. Because I don't know about you, but I understand impossibilities. I understand there's nowhere to go here, and I understand they're well-armed and I'm not. And I understand I can do the math. That means I'm dead. Right? Do 
Do you ever find that that's what God does to you? Because that's how we, we often feels like he live, we live our lives. I don't, we feel we're in the pressure cooker and we don't know. But God knows. And he will guide and direct you. All that you have to do is seek him diligently and cry out to him. And he always delivers. And you live your life for that, like that, and I'll guarantee you something. You're going to have some fantastic stories to tell of God's deliverance. Well, let me tell you this one time. <laughs> this was scary. You know, and you're right on the edge of the ocean, and it's not looking good. And enemies on the, in the back of you, and you are going down, and God split the sea. Can you believe that? God split the sea. He opened it up in half. And we walked through. Our enemies came behind, and he swallowed them up. No way. Yeah, you won't believe it. That's my life. That's a life lived by faith, seeking the Lord, walking with him. Don't expect it to be easy but expect it to be good because he's good. Amen. Father, we're so grateful and thankful that you hear our prayers, that you guide us, that you direct us, that you lead us, that you govern the affairs of our lives. We're so grateful and thankful that we can go to you and diligently seek you and cry out to you knowing with absolute confidence that you will grant the wisdom You will grant the direction. You will give us what is best for us. Because you are faithful always. So Father, grant us a hunger for you and a faith that believes the promises. Amen.